Well, good morning. Um, it is great to get the opportunity to speak with you all again in this capacity. Um, just wanted to start off by saying don't think for a minute that I take these opportunities lightly. Um, it is a privilege to get to do this, and so I just wanted to start off by saying thank you. Um, and as we wrap up our series on the five core elements of following Jesus, Ken asked me to speak with you all about worship. Now, worship, I would argue, is the core element of following Jesus, the core of what we do as Christians. John Piper even says that missions exist because worship doesn't. So let that sink in for a minute, that the call to make disciples, the call for evangelism and missions, is given to us because people were created to worship. People need to know who Jesus is so that they can fulfill their life purpose of bringing glory to God, our Father. And I will argue that all people do worship. It's just a matter of what they worship. But before we go any further, let's understand together a little bit about what worship is and what worship is not. And the best illustration that I have ever heard in its truest meaning of worship came from this book I read by a guy named Zach Neese out of Gateway Church in Fort Worth, Texas. And he said, worship is like an engagement ring. <clears throat> so consider the engagement ring. A girl gets engaged, and she's very excited, right? How does this girl announce that she just got engaged? Does she walk into a room and say, Hey guys, just let you know, got engaged. Does she pick up her phone, send out a text, says, FYI, engaged, YOLO, right? No. She walks into a room like this. Hey guys, you'll never guess what just happened. And all of her friends jump up and they're like, oh my God! Right? They're so excited. They're, oh, I can't believe that you're engaged. Right? But what do they ask her when, when she says that? What do they ask her? Do they ask, is he cute? Does he have a job? Is he living in his mom's basement? Does he have any weird moles on his face, maybe? No. What do they ask? Let me see the ring. Show me the ring. Because the friends will be able to tell everything they need to know about this guy by looking at the ring. They want to see how much does she mean to this guy. Is he willing to sacrifice and scrounge and save and eat ramen noodles for months and months just to show her how much she means to him? The ring will show them how much she means to him. The ring tells all. So gentlemen, be forewarned. And worship is like this. The word worship comes from the old word worthship, meaning ascribing or giving something worth, giving something value or meaning or priority in your life. And so understand this. We as the body of Christ, the church, our ring that we are showing off to the world is our worship. What are we saying 
about our God to the world? What will the world know about God through our worship? Do they see a God who is worthy of sacrificing everything that we have for his glory? Or do they see a God who is worth, you know, maybe sometimes an hour here or there on Sunday mornings? If I've got nothing better to do that day, and if I actually feel like getting out of bed, what is our worship saying to the world about our God? Now understand when I say our worship, I'm not just talking about the music here on Sunday morning or the worship songs that you play in your car on the way to work. Worship is not just music. Music can be marketed, music can be performed, music can be observed, and it can be liked and disliked, right? How many times have you heard somebody say, hey, I went to this church and it was okay, but man, I just really didn't like the worship. Or somebody might say, hey, have you heard the worship at Elevation Church? Man, they are awesome. Considering worship largely as music is why we had those so-called worship wars of the 80s and 90s. If worship is about us and our musical preference, then of course people can complain, right? Well, I only like the hymns. Well, I only like the contemporary stuff. I like Christian rap. I only like worship songs that were written in Latin before 1800, <laughs> right? I know somebody who said that. Sure, music is a part of worship. It's a part of worship. I love musical worship. Um, it connects me with God in ways that I have never experienced before in my life. I get lost in these moments of just singing to God, and it's just me and him, and I'm thanking him and praising him. I love it. But it's not all there is. It's not all that worship is. It's not even close. And we have tried to combat that thinking in the church, right, haven't we? By saying that the whole Sunday morning service is what? A worship service. It's all worship, right? But still, it's not all that there is. Worship is a lifestyle. Now, if you've been in church very long, you've heard that phrase, right? It's kind of one of these Christianese phrases like worship is a lifestyle. I've been to Christian festivals where this is even on a t-shirt, right? Kids walking around like worship is a lifestyle. But what does that really mean? How do you worship with your life? One of the most profound and eye-opening passages in Scripture on worship, at least for me, comes out of the book of Isaiah. Right at the beginning, chapter 1, starting in verse 11, it says this. You can read along in your Bibles if you brought them with you. It says, the multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough of burnt offerings of rams, the fat of fattened animals, I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing me meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, and convocations, I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals, I hate with all of my being. They have become a burden to me, and I am weary of bearing them. 
When you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. And even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening. Your hands are full of blood. Ouch. That sounds harsh, right? But let's understand this together because you can pull a very valuable lesson out of this passage. And it's this, that God is always after your heart. God was saying to the Old Testament people of Israel through the prophet, look, your worship, you're just doing your religious duty. And it's making me sick. You're giving me lip service. You're showing up to the rituals, but then you're living your life just like everybody else. But I want more from you. I want your heart. I want your love. I want your devotion. I want it all. And he's right to be harsh here, right? He's God. And we can see this. I mean, Valentine's Day was just a few weeks ago. Who wants a Valentine's Day gift from your boyfriend or your spouse simply because it's expected? Right? Like, come on. You want to feel loved. You want to feel appreciated. You want to feel worth something to them. Right? So if, if they completely forgot about you, right, so they just stopped at Walmart on the way home and said, here's your gift, sorry. You'd be like, hey, what is this? I don't even like chocolate said no woman ever. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. God wants your heart. He wants your love. He wants all of you, not just the obligations and the rituals. So in our scripture reading this morning, we read Paul's words to the Romans. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God this is your true and proper worship. Now, man, there is so much we could unpack in this passage, but we have a short time here this morning, so let's look at this. It starts off, therefore. And I have always been told as a useful Bible study tool, when you see the word therefore, always stop and ask the question, what is the word therefore, therefore? It's in there for this case because Paul has been writing 11 chapters of his letter up until this point, explaining how from the beginning of time, God has revealed himself to mankind. But in their sinfulness, man chose to disobey God. And so God gave them over to that sin. And so they were inescapably separated from him because of that sin. But in his unimaginable love and mercy and grace, he gives us a gift, a way to be restored to him and delivered from the wrath that was due to us because of our disobedience. He gives us Jesus Christ, his only son, who humbled himself and came to earth to live as a man, to suffer and die for our sake, while we were still enemies of God, while we were still actively sinning against him, God gives us that grace. He gives us the gift of Jesus on the cross. And Paul reminds us that in Jesus Christ we have forgiveness. We 
can find a restored relationship with God and nothing in this world or any other will be able to take that away from us. We are his and he is ours because he loved us. So 11 chapters, making sure his readers understand their position before a loving and holy God. 11 chapters making sure that we understand what Jesus did for us on the cross. And then chapter 12 starts, therefore, in light of all of that, and in view of his incredible mercy, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice Give everything you have, your desires, your plans, all of your being as a living sacrifice to God. A living sacrifice. Have you ever really considered that? It's a sacrifice, first of all, so it's going to cost you something. Don't make the mistake of thinking for one second that worshiping the most high God, the creator and sustainer of the universe, the king of kings and the savior of mankind in spirit and in truth will cost you nothing. And it's a sacrifice that doesn't die. It's repeatedly sacrificed. Day by day, minute to minute, sacrifice. It's living. It's continual. It's a sacrifice that says because of all that you have given me, because you loved me first, because you created me, because you breathed your breath into my lungs and gave me the ability to love, because what you have done by giving me this gift of Jesus when I didn't deserve it and I can't even fully understand it, I give my life for you and what you want me to do. God, you are worth that much to me. A living sacrifice worth giving to God says what you have done for me is worth more than anything and everything this world has to offer. And so the choices that I make, the career that I choose, my time, my money, my energy, God, they are all for you. I may mess up, from time to time, I might get sidetracked or distracted, but God, my life is yours. Church, that is a lifestyle of worship. Now, I believe that we all worship. We were created to do so, so it's in our very nature. The question is, who or what are you worshiping? And so many of you sitting here are probably like, well, duh, I'm in church. Who do you think I'm here to worship? But I want to challenge you with a little exercise this morning. I want you to look inside and ask yourself this question. What gives you your sense of worth? What is it that makes you feel worthy? Is it your job, your house, your health and physical fitness, your status in the community, maybe, or school or some sports team? Does your money give you your sense of worth? 
the number of degrees that you have? Honestly, ask yourself, what gives you your sense of worth? Because that is how you're going to spend your time. That is how you're going to spend your life, your energy, your resources, working and trying to feel worthy. It's in our nature. It's the way God designed you and me. So in and of itself, it's not a bad thing. But think about it. Like, here, what gives you your sense of worship? Or what gives you your sense of, of worth? You got it up here? That is what you worship. Your lifestyle reveals your worship. It's your engagement ring that you're showing off to the world. What do you find worth in? What gives you your sense of worth? That is what you worship. That is your lifestyle of worship. I have spent a lot of time in this life not feeling good enough for a lot of reasons. From a young age, I feel like I've been on some quest to find something that gave me meaning or purpose or worth or value. And I tried so many things and probably everything that you can imagine. And even as a follower of Jesus, I didn't get it right away. And I still struggle with it sometimes. I wanted to feel loved. I wanted to feel something to someone, worth something to someone so badly that I looked absolutely everywhere for it. Until God said this to me, and it changed everything. He said, you need to find your identity in me. He said, I think you are worthy of love. I think you are worth more than you can imagine. I think you are worth the sacrifice of my son. And I will never abandon you. You will never, ever lose your worth with me. So find your worth in me and me alone. So therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters of Spry Church, in view of God's incredible mercies, to offer yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, because this is your true and proper and necessary worship. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. And God, we confess that many times we put things ahead of you. But we want to know what real worship is. God, teach us to worship with our lives. Teach us to find our worth in you and you alone. God, help us to see the worth in others. Help us to see others as you see them. Help us to see ourselves as you see us. 
And God, you call us to lay down our lives for the gospel to bring glory to your name. You call us to worship with our lives. And so we ask the creator of everything. God, give us the boldness to do this so that the world will know you more. We pray these things in your name. And now we pray together as you taught us, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our 